Welcome to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're delighted to have you with us once again as we continue our journey through the quarter entitled In the Crucible with Christ. We are at week number six right now, and this week is a pivotal week. We are looking at struggling with all energy. How does that weave into what we've been talking about in the first five weeks? Well, if you want to know the answer to that, I've got good news for you. And that is that we have the author of the Sabbath School lesson with us once again, Gavin Anthony. Welcome. We're glad to have you back. Thank you. Now, this week, as I mentioned, is a pivotal point. And as we talk about this pivotal point, I'm I'm trying not to pivot on my chair, uh, even if I were to try to do it for emphasis. This is a pivotal point in our study. And we are taking a look, kind of shifting, if you will. We've, we've looked at how God leads us through difficult places. But now we're kind of pivoting to something else. Where are we headed? Give us a, give us a peek at what the rest of the quarter holds. All right. We've been making the case that God is at work, often using uh, challenging situations to mature us to look like him. And, and hopefully by this point, we'll have have come to the conclusion that this is this is who God really is. He does do this. Um, and sometimes there are some extreme cases in it. Um, of course, God is not sending the pain, but the pain, when we experience it, it's coming out of our own sinful natures and, and causes us um, some suffering. But So we've been making the case that, that God is at working to mature us. Remember, we looked at last week or the week before this idea that God's plan is that human beings reflect are conformed to the image of his son that's his design for us we want to look he wants us to look like jesus paul he's working as a minister of the gospel so that we can look like jesus so god is working to do this and often using these difficult situations in the weeks ahead we're going to look at some specific character qualities Things like faith and meekness and patience, and we'll look at one of those each week. But here in the middle, you're talking about a pivot point. We're looking a little bit at this idea of the human responsibility or the human component in this maturing process. Because again, as we we reflected in in a previous episode, God doesn't come and sprinkle fairy dust on us and, and just transform us much as I would like that to be the case. But he often asks uh, more of us and it involves our will. So we're looking a little bit at the role of the will and the human responsibility in this process of being conformed to the image of his son. So if we're talking about the role of the will and how the human interacts with the divine, this is a little sensitive, you might say. We, We don't want to run down dangerous paths here. We want to try to stay on the, on the straight and narrow. And so we will endeavor to do that and hopefully pull these pieces together in a way that is easy to understand and, uh, and also encouraging by the time we get there. On Sunday's lesson, we start with the spirit of truth. In John chapter 16, uh, verses 5 through 15, you reference. I don't know that we're going to necessarily read all those right now, but the spirit of truth Who is the spirit of truth? What is the spirit of truth? Why is the spirit of truth important? And what role does it play in what we're talking about? All right. Well, let me read. This is John 16, verse 13. It's very simple. Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
So the role of the Holy Spirit is to guide me into all truth. Now, <laughs> when I was younger, there was, I guess, a little joke or uh, you, we would say, you know, what's the one thing that God cannot make? He can't make two mountains without a valley in the middle. Now, we think that God, remember, God is all loving, he's all powerful. He can do anything he wants. But there are some things God cannot do. And it relates to this idea of truth. So when God, the Holy Spirit, presents truth to me, he can't make me obey it. And he can't make me repent from what I, the way I've been behaving previously. That is a human responsibility. If God forced us to be obedient, then we would be robots and he would be who Satan says he is. He's this manipulator, enforcer in, in the universe. But he's not. So I, am, I have a responsibility in this process of, of transformation that is linked to dependence upon God that enables me to become obedient and become repentant. So there's an element of, of us exercising our will in this. It's not just God imposing things on us and making us do things. And I, I think we're probably both glad, by and large, that that's not the case because we do have that opportunity to, to interact with him, to respond to him. Love wouldn't be love if there was no ability to choose not to love. And so he gives us that, that freedom to, to exercise our will. There's a, there's a passage in Monday's lesson that you draw out. It's over in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. It says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So God is, Christ is working in me mightily. I think that's good news. Yes, and it is good news. Um, but we have a problem with this, I think. The danger is that, and I think it's even a temptation, that we can think that because the Holy Spirit is in, within me, then everything that I do to get in, aligned to God is going to be easy and simple because God is powerful and that power is within me. But it's not. And we have this challenge again. I have a sinful nature that battles against what God is longing to do. And so that calls me to respond very deliberately and consciously and with a lot of determined effort. And I think you know, when we look, look at this verse that you read, that is why I work and I struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I think this, this idea of struggling and working hard, as Christians, we can sometimes react a little bit like this. It's like, okay, no, I'm not supposed to be working hard. Immediately think about salvation and no, that comes by grace and uh, I think one of the helpful ways to think about this, this sort of dynamic is God is against earning. We can't earn anything to our salvation, but he's not against effort. There are certain things, as Paul is very clear here, which 
demands a lot of effort. And that effort, I think, fundamentally is about how do I get to the point where I am with my, the sin within me and my sinful tendencies to the point where I can yield to God. Moving that distance to submission to Christ takes effort. So there are, in this effort, this struggle, there, there are some, some things that we struggle with. What are some of those things that we struggle with that there's an expectation that we're not just going to throw up our hands and say whatever, but we're actually going to put some effort into it? Again, as you mentioned, not trying to, to work our own salvation, but there are things that God expects us to, to kind of resist, if you will. Yeah, and a lot of that is tied to our emotions. Some years ago, I knew of somebody, and they were having an affair. And someone asked them, you know, don't you know this this is wrong? Shouldn't you, you know, be getting out of this relationship? And their response was, well, um, I prayed about it, and God hasn't told me anything, and so I'm keeping on going. Well, (laughs) there's a whole lot of things wrong with that. I mean, firstly, God has said something to you already. You just haven't looked. <laughs> you know, we have our Bibles. God speaks to us through, through Scripture. But I think the bottom line is, in that example, and we have to be careful we're not just pointing fingers here because this is how we all function. I enjoy sinful things. I don't want to stop doing it. And so when it comes to obedience, there are certain things that I need to say, you know, Gavin, no, I can't do this. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. But that takes effort because it's effort against what my natural sinful inclinations are. I I can think of um, some times where I have been personally um, burnt out. You know, you're working and working, working, dealing with difficult problems, And I went through a a long process where I just felt so empty, burnt out. It was to the point where my memory had become so shot that if I was had my Bible here and a book here, if I was trying to write a Bible text from the Bible to my pad, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't, I'd forget the text. I became even slightly incoherent in the way I spoke. I was just finished and I began to think about communion with God and the fact that I needed to get more into God's presence. And, you know, I prayed the appropriate and official prayers that we do. You know, I studied and read my Bible for what I needed to do, but I was lacking the intimacy But boy, it was so hard for me to get on my knees. And I don't know about you, but for some reason, it's been like this my whole whole life. When I am flat on my face before God, there is an intimacy that I experience that is like nothing else. I'm not one of those people that can walk around in nature and, and, and chat with God. I mean, I can do that, but it's a whole different experience. But I find at that time, There was just such a resistance. I did not want to get on my knees. Everything was fighting against me from within to get on my face before God. But then when I finally went through that effort to submit myself, then the power of God came in and I experienced an amazing 
inner transformation. And, and that's something that God expects all of us to participate in. He gives us the opportunity to experience the very same thing. He will reach out to us, but we have to respond. And if we choose not to respond, well, we've kind of responded. But he gives us that opportunity to respond, and so there is a, a role that we play in that. We're going to come back and we're going to continue looking at some, some stories from the Bible, some Bible passages that give us deeper and, and greater insight into this as we're, we're kind of pivoting with this week's lesson into what is to come. But we've got some exciting things coming up. Before we do that, though, I want to encourage you, make sure if you have not already done so, there's still time for you to pick up The Refiner's Fire by Gavin Anthony. You will find it at the It Is Written online shop. That is itiswritten.shop. The book's title, again, is The Refiner's Fire. The author, of course, Gavin Anthony. And you will find a deeper and richer foray into this subject of Christian suffering if you pick that book up and read it. We will be right back in just a moment as we continue our study here on lesson number five on Sabbath School. Be right back. What does the Bible say about astrology? Why do bad things happen to good people? What color is Jesus? If you have a question, we'd love to find an answer for you from the Bible. Line up online from It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We are continuing our look here at lesson number five, which is struggling with all energy. Gavin, in the uh, in the lesson, you shared a story that's a rather uh, eye-opening one. And share that with us. Yes, uh, many years ago, I remember I was watching morning TV, and there were two people sharing their stories of what happened when one of their children had been murdered. I mean, it was it was a, a gut-wrenching, terrible, terrible stories. And I remember listening to them share the stories, but one of them had peace and calm. The other one was more angry and more bitter than when it, it had happened 20 years before. So if you think about this, for 20 years, one of the people had becoming increasingly hurt. The other person who was a Christian had decided to forgive the people who had murdered them. So two similar stories. I mean, we all respond differently to different things, but similar stories, but radically different outcomes. And I suggest, you know, what's going on there, the Christian decided to choose to think in a particular way. They chose to offer grace. They made a decision of how to think about the people who had caused the the devastation in their families. And therefore, their destination, where they ended up in life many years later, was so different. And I think this, this brings us back to this issue of how we choose to think, the choices that we make, difficult choices. I mean, the choice to forgive someone who's murdered your child, I, I can't even begin to imagine that. But the struggle to get to that point brought peace and calm. 
And for that person, imagine that that journey of 20 years, don't know how far back they made the decision to to surrender, but from from, from that or to uh, forgive, but from that point forward, that's a that's a very different life than the one who didn't forgive. And so they made a choice, made a decision, and it changed their future. And same thing is true for us. Yeah, you know, Jesus says, I've come to give life and life abundantly. But that life, again, cannot be forced on me or you. We have to receive it. And that lady was able to have that abundant life because of the decisions that she made, even though they were, I can't even imagine how difficult those choices were. A struggle, no doubt, took place. Emotions were involved, powerful emotions, but she made a good choice. There are some other struggles that we go through or can go through, need to go through in order to end up on the right side of things. What are some other struggles? Yes, well, you know, I think we live in a culture which really targets our emotions through music and movies and and whatever. We're surrounded by stimuli, whether it's coming from our smartphones or whatever, our emotions under attack, but there was a different angle to the challenge of emotions that I began to understand some years back. One morning, I got a, t- a strange telephone call, and the person on the end said, I don't think you like us, and we don't like you. And I was just, I was completely taken aback, had no idea where this was coming from. And I thought, okay, The person has some challenges. I'm not going to worry too much about it. Well, as I as I went about my day, it began to play in the back of my mind. And the more it played on my mind, the kind of heavier I got. And I began to feel overwhelmed. I was due to take a prayer meeting at someone's house that afternoon, that evening. And I was just about to call them on the phone and say, listen, I'm not feeling well, I can't come. And I remember to this day, I can remember where I was driving. And I suddenly thought to myself, what if this is Satan at work? And I just blurted out without really thinking about it. I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, get behind me. And it was just like instantly this this heavy depressive atmosphere that I had been struggling with all day it just evaporated and I became completely normal and at peace and even a little bit joyful it was a remarkable thing but what that began to show me all those years back is that sometimes we just think that the thoughts we think are our own thoughts uh, but we always need to remember that Satan is always at work working through us and and hiding in anonymity, hoping that we don't realize that the thoughts we think might have come from outside. Okay, we have to struggle with the sinful thoughts we we generate ourselves, but sometimes Satan sows seeds, and we need to realize what it is and, and make a firm decision that we're not going to allow him to nurture or feed those thoughts, that it, it leads to a place where we don't want to go to. So these are supernatural elements that are involved here, very significant ones. And I I think of uh, the passage, we we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and and so forth. And that's that's very real. 
it's very real. And uh, maybe we'll get onto this even more in, in, in future lessons. But I, I have had many examples in my life where I have encountered supernatural evil. And particularly at the beginning of my ministry. And for many years, I wondered, why does God allow this? Why does he allow Satan access? You know, again, I'm doing God's work. I'm doing it with sincerity. I'm doing my best. So why does God allow Satan to have such access to me? And I began to realize that what God wanted me to understand is, as you referred to, we don't fight against flesh and blood. And we will come back to that particular text, I think, later. Because if we deal with life on a human level, we will, we will deal with it on a human basis without realizing we desperately need of God and God's help. And that particularly includes in the way we think and our thought patterns. So there's a huge struggle going on. We're involved in it. We are called to make wise choices, important wise choices. And yet, as Tuesday points out, we, we have a challenge we have many challenges. This is, this is a big one. Uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Talk about that. Yes. Well, this is very short and to the point. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? <laughs> and again, you know, I have a natural view of myself that I'm quite nice and smart. And, you know, the idea that I have a deceitful heart and I think it's only when we confront ourselves with that, that reality that I am not as great as it, I'm cracked up to be. But then we can begin to make some progress. And then because I realize I need God a lot, because what's inside of me, I need something supernatural to, to get rid of that. So we don't have anything worthwhile to give in and of ourselves. The only thing we really have worthwhile to give is our surrender. If we can surrender, that gets us headed in the right direction. But anything that we come to the table with doesn't do us any good. You've got some stories um, in here about uh, David and others who are just some, some great examples. Well, again, we're thinking about how, how, does, how, does, how do our own sinful natures or Satan at work lead us through the way we're thinking to bad choices? You know, we have this famous example, Second Samuel 11, at the beginning of the chapter, one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent his messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. You know, and it starts off the, the chapter, you know, in the day, in time when kings would go out to war, making the point that David wasn't going out to war. He was at home and he suddenly find himself exposed to temptation and he went with it. And that led him to murder later. And so one bad thought or wrong action leads to another and it leads, leads David to a... A really terrible place. And, and so Peter tells us, First Peter 1.13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Be alert and sober. There's a lot that's coming at us, and it's only going to increase over time. I like on Thursday's lesson, you draw out the importance of the need to persevere by telling the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel. Yes, I love this story. I think there's some really key uh, lessons here. So Jacob is 
he's, he's been given this promise early on. He's done it deceitfully. Years later, his brother is coming with 400 men. Uh, he's with his family. Uh, he's scared. He goes out by himself into the darkness. And this man, uh, later becomes evident, this is Jesus. And he starts wrestling with Jacob in, in the darkness. And there's one point where Jesus dislocates his hip. And it's kind of interesting. Jacob realizes that he's, he's struggling with a divine being. And then he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, think about this. He was wrestling. If you have a dislocated hip, you're not wrestling anymore. You're hanging on for dear life. He's going through severe pain. Um, and then after the, the Bible says, what is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but the man told him, from now on you'll be called Israel because you fought with God and with men and have won. The promise of God came after the wrestling and the struggle. God could affirm that promise to him beforehand. Um, so for sometimes and for some reasons, God invites us into a, a, a struggling and a wrestling, and it's out the other side of that that the blessing comes. And... He goes on to, to meet his brother. He's still hobbling because of how Jesus dislocated his hip. And that likely brought a little bit of sympathy into his brother's heart. So all things work together for good. Gavin, there's a quote from Patriarchs and Prophets in the end of this week's lesson that's, that's powerful. I wonder if you would share that. And then uh, maybe you can draw us together with a prayer at the end to ask that God would help those of us, which is all of us, who, who need to struggle rightly in these situations. Yes, uh, this is an amazing quotation. In order to receive God's help, man must realize his weakness and deficiency. He must apply his own mind to the great change to be wrought in himself. He must be aroused to earnest and persevering prayer and effort. Wrong habits and customs must be shaken off, and it is only by determined endeavor to correct these errors and to conform to right principles that the victory can be gained. Many never attain to the position that they might occupy because they wait for God to do for them that which he has given them power to do for themselves. All who are fitted for usefulness must be trained by the severest mental and moral discipline and God will assist them by uniting divine power with human effort. So if you identify with this and are feeling a little bit of the struggle, um, I'd like to pray for you. Father, living in the crucible is hard, but may we never forget your presence is with us. May we never hesitate to fall at your feet with a willingness to repent, to learn and to obey. And I pray that you will grant us the strength of a disciplined mind that we can stand against the pressures of our culture the sin that is within us and the temptations without to be brave, to do the right thing, for tenacity in holding on so that your work of transformation will be accomplished in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Gavin, thank you once again for being with us this week. And thank you for being with us as well. We look forward to having you join us again next week as we continue with lesson number seven in this quarter's Sabbath school study. God bless you. We'll see you then.